Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss the Rittenhouse verdict, France and Italy building an alliance, and why it's so difficult for successful millennial women to settle down. I'm Luke. And I'm Rhodey. And this is the Right Side of the Compass Podcast. All right, let's get right into it. Um, Luke, I have to apologize first because I have a little cold this week. So if, if I sound a little hoarse, um, it's because of that. You mean, uh, you mean a pony? You sound a pony. Yes, yes, a little, uh, yes, a pony. If Yes, it's a little hoarse. Yes, a, a pony. Well, if you explain the joke, then it's not funny. Well, that's the point of a dad joke is because you're supposed to explain it to make it not funny, to make it worse. Okay, I guess. No, it's like, oh, no, you get it? That's why. Hi, Hungry, I'm Dad. <laughs> all right, well, or whatever, let's get right into it. So um, we wanted to discuss the Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, a, was it two weeks ago or one week ago? No, it was last week. It was last week that he was acquitted on all charges. And um, you had I think you're about? setting it up, Rody. I think you're setting it up wrong. The, the proper setup for the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict is Hispanic man uses weapon to defend black-owned businesses, shoots white guy screaming the N-word at him, gets acquitted of all charges, libs mad. Really? Yes. Not only, was Kyle, not only is Kyle Rittenhouse Hispanic, he also supported BLM. Yeah, he, I heard that too. He he supported Andrew Yang, so that's fun. Um, anyways, in he, New York, his biz- Andrew Yang. Yeah, Andrew Yang of New York. No, oh. remember when he ran for president in twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ran for president in twenty twenty. So Kyle Rittenhouse was part of the Yang gang, and um, so anyways, this Hispanic BLM supporter he goes to a black owned business, black owned business in Kenosha. He defends it. White guys screaming the N-word try to assault him. He shoots them, gets taken to court, gets acquitted, libs mad. That's how it goes. Good title. Good, good, good title. title. Very, very good title. Libs mad. That's, that's my favorite part of all this, that libs mad. Like, if nothing else, libs mad, right? Um, so, yeah. So, he did come out innocent, which is good, which is good. But I think we first need to talk about – I think everyone's talked about all the other aspects to death, about how – the media lied to everybody about what the case was about. There are people or defaming who are him. still fine. What? I mean, or def- and defaming him. Def- well, defaming him is another thing, but there are people who still do not know that the people Kyle Rittenhouse shot were all white. Not that it matters, but even if they were black, it wouldn't matter. But there are people who genuinely think that Kyle Rittenhouse shot three black people. Ridiculous. They look at all this media stuff and then they don't think to go and actually watch the court case or the videos. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, why are you jumping to conclusions before you even see it or or see the court case or see the evidence? It makes no sense. That's why I'm. That's why I'm never convinced when anyone who isn't me tells me about something. I am never convinced that they did the research because it is so 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 easy to see how these people didn't do the research. It's so easy. Most people don't do research. And that's why I think it's important to like cite your sources when you're making an argument for that exact reason. I think here's the thing though. I think that when you're talking about people in real life, I don't need to see your sources. I'm not writing a dissertation here. 
But my point is simply a matter of, at the end of the day, you don't know, so please shut up. You don't know anything, right? If you don't know anything, please don't talk about it. Please don't say anything. And we see this, and that's that's why I don't trust people when they say they know things, because people very obviously do not know anything, as per Twitter's meltdown about the Kyle Rittenhouse charge. They literally think he shot three black people. Again, not that it would matter, because they assaulted him. My point is simply a matter of, they don't even know the facts of the case, and they want to string this guy up and, you know execute him publicly, which is what I want to talk about today, actually. I want to talk about how the left wing has turned our justice system into essentially a public lynching, right? This is what this is, right? George Takai, famous person who was in Star Trek. Um, I'm actually more of a Star Wars fanboy, but uh, George Takai is that gay guy who says silly things. And uh, George Takai said as follows on Twitter, Justice denied is a body blow to our national psych. On trial was not only a killer, but a system that continues to kill. Today, today that system defeated true justice once again. But mark these words, we will never stop fighting for what is right and just. This guy obviously didn't watch the trial. But that's not the point. He didn't have to watch the trial. Because he's not interested in the truth. He's interested in a public lynching of some guy who pissed off the left wing for whatever reason, right? We're talking about a normal kid, right? He's not even like a uber right wing, you know, loony bin. He's this BLM supporting Yang gang guy. And he goes and he defends himself from this, from this pedophile, right? And George Takai wants this guy thrown in prison and the keys thrown down the toilet because this isn't a justice system. To these people, I don't know when to it these... started to change, but what happened to it was your, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. That's not the case. It, it kind of flipped. It's, you're guilty until proven innocent now. Well, not even. You're guilty until until the court says you're innocent, and then you're still guilty. It's not even guilty until proven innocent. At least our ancestors who believed guilty until proven innocent have a moral edge on us. No, you're innocent until proven guilty. That's what they believed in. No, our ancestors are real, real long ago ancestors. The ones who we had to make up innocent until proven guilty because they didn't believe that, right? The people who believed guilty until proven innocent, they're still better than this guy because Kyle Rittenhouse was guilty as far as the public was concerned, right? And then they dragged him to court for no reason. They dragged him to court and then they said, oh, he's innocent. He didn't do anything. He's a good boy who didn't do nothing, right? And then he's still guilty. Nothing changed. Who? Where is Where is the justice here? This isn't even guilty until proven innocent. This is guilty because the left-wing mob says you're guilty. There's no room for innocence. There's no room to prove that you didn't do what they said you did. There's no explanation. There's no justification. There's nothing. The minute the left-wing mob wants you dead, that's it. The only thing stopping it was that, thank God, the jury did their job. The judge did his job. And now Kyle Rittenhouse walks. But yeah. the reality is, is that Kyle Rittenhouse, he's going to be walking around with this forever, which is why he needs to sue everybody. I mean, he, he actually also to... said he might change his name because of it. No, I believe that was the lawyer who said he should change his name. Um, I saw an interview where they asked him, oh, do you think you're going to change his name? And he said maybe. I mean, he said he doesn't know, but he said he might. 
I mean, it makes sense. Um, I mean, listen, if I were able to give some advice to Kyle Rittenhouse, I would say you shouldn't change your name because you didn't do anything wrong. But I understand the other side, which is that you just want to be a normal kid. It's very difficult when half the country hates your guts. Um, but whatever. Even if he did change his name, that's not even the point. The point is, is that he needs to sue everybody who's slandering him because he needs to make sure that he can just like sit in the house and just not work for the rest of his life because they ruined his life essentially. Kind of. Yeah. I find it very disappointing. And I think the judge was actually very smart about it. And he was very aware of the media publicizing uh, the case like that. Which is why the case should never have been publicized, by the way. There's no reason to put this kid on trial in front of all of America. All the world, frankly. The the world was watching. Um, I don't know how it is, but aren't they uh, – don't you sign something to give permission whether to uh, to allow uh, it to be public or not? I don't know. I think the works. judge does. I don't think the I don't think the kid does. Oh. I don't know. And I think I think it has to do the I, I don't know how it works. I think it's the other way around. I think the judge needs to to essentially quash the case from public scrutiny, not the other way around, which is to say that the case will be televised unless the judge orders it not to be. Yeah. So, I think also the other issue was that people people and some people did know that he did kill white men, but they say that it's racist because if he was black, the verdict would have been different, essentially. Uh, I mean, listen, I actually don't think that's the case. I think that if the case were the exact same, except Kyle Rittenhouse was a black person. I mean, it doesn't really matter because Kyle Rittenhouse is Hispanic. So, um, But let's, for the sake of discussion, say he was black. I think people would have seen that this – like they would have framed it differently. I don't think it would have ever gotten to here because – if you would have seen the video of the white guy screaming the N-word at this black kid, right? And then he goes and smokes the guy. That would have never made it to court. It's because he was he was viewed as this white guy. That's why it went to court. It would have never went to court. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's besides the point. Right. But I think the, the important thing to understand is that the justice system really has become – this way to attempt to lynch people that the that the that the people in charge don't like, um, and we know this because while this kid was on trial for self defense, there's a much more important case going on. Um, Gislaine Maxwell, is that how you pronounce her name? Is it Gislaine? Gislaine? I don't know. Anyways, so for those of you who don't know, um, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. So that's your daily what? reminder. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. How do you not know? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Now after F, now after Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, people were asking about Ghislaine Maxwell. Turns out Ghislaine Maxwell was helping Jeffrey Epstein acquire his uh, victims, quote unquote. Um, and there's a very, very important court case going on. Ghislaine Maxwell is on trial. Um, the public has no access to this trial. We're not going. It's not going to be televised. It's not going to be done in front of people. I think everyone has the right to know who killed Jeffrey Epstein and why there was an island called Pedophile Island. I think everyone has the right to know that. I think that's way more important than figuring out why this kid shot three dudes. I yeah, think that was, was an a open way check. bigger 
this is a way bigger case in terms of there was a lot of powerful people and this, you know, the the conspiracy theory with, you know, whether he killed himself or not. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein very obviously didn't kill himself. This is not a conspiracy theory. You, The conspiracy theory is Jeffrey Epstein did kill himself. That's the conspiracy. Right. I don't know the entire story behind this, so I, I, can't, I can't say anything about it. But uh, yeah. Um, and then also, yeah, so it was with a lot of powerful people and with so many, you know, innocent women being violated versus this Kyle Rittenhouse, you would think that this would be more important. Well, it is more important, but well, not, but actually it is more important and the elite know this and that's why they're quashing it because can you imagine what would happen to the elite if the Ghislaine Maxwell case was televised? Can you imagine what people would find out about the establishment? Catastrophic. People like, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, um, Alan Dershowitz, people like that. Yeah. We'd find out a lot of interesting things. It's like every TV or espionage. It's every like movie, uh, espionage movie or TV show that you see. It's like, oh, you know, the government's like a bad guy and this and that. And they, you know, eventually. Well, you mean, no, I think you mean like real life where the government's the bad guy. I know, but, you know, in the movies and TV shows, you know, it, it eventually gets out there and the public knows and then people go to jail. While in real life, that doesn't really happen, I feel like. Right, because it's very simple because there's this – I guess it's – I guess this is why television is fiction because in television, the media does their job and they're interested in the important story. In real life, the media is about quashing the important stories and telling us nonsense. That's why it happens like this. You remember um, Kingsman, the first movie, The Kingsman? Uh, yes. So you remember how they had that like big plot about how to solve global warming, they were going to destroy all the people and all the rich people were in the bunker? Yes. So it's kind of like that. The rich people are trying to, I guess, live out the last days of the United States. And you see this, and they're they're trying to take us with them. And uh, it's very sad that they think so little of us because it's much harder for us to fight against them than it is for them to fight against us. It's much harder. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so going on to uh, the next topic. So I stumbled upon this uh, article in the physical newspaper in the Wall Street Journal. I know, right? I can't People- believe you read the actual paper. I know, right? We still Who gets the physical paper nowadays? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, it's more like, my parents get it because, you know, they still read the newspaper. But um, so it was talking about how France and Italy are basically joining together to fight against the German uh, influence in the EU. And I was reading this. I was like, oh, you know, we talked about this uh, last week. And, um, you know, uh, Ludi was right. Germany did take over Europe in the end. And uh, but just yes, not Ludi the way- was right. What? Yes, Ludi was right. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Luke was right. um, And Germany did take over Europe, just not in the way that, you know, not, you know, not in the way that you thought. Um, So I just thought it was really interesting to, to point out. So first rule of the Right Side of the Compass podcast, and quite frankly, life, is that Luke is always right. Oh, really? So... Yes, that that is the rule. So when you saw this, you witnessed firsthand why that rule is true. What I say is always true, and what I say is always correct. 
and my opinions. Your opinions are fact. Exactly. From God's mouth, no, from my mouth to God's ears, you know? To God's ears. Is that how you use that expression? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, so let's get into it. Rebelling against Germany. Do you think that this is uh, a a rebellion against Germany? No, it's not, because it says here that... um, It says here that the Franco-German relationship is likely to remain at the heart of the EU. From Paris' perspective, closer cooperation with Rome, while useful, isn't meant to replace the alliance with Germany that has been a central pillar of the France foreign policy for nearly 60 years. So I don't know how – I actually don't know how the EU kind of was formed. You would probably know more because you study international relations. It's um, also history. It's it's both actually, and not. I mean, I did study both, but it's to know the the background of the EU. You have to understand the history of Europe, and the history of Europe is that ever since the unification of Germany, Germany was always trying to kind of. If you've ever seen a map of Europe, you'll know that Germany is surrounded on both sides. It's surrounded by the French on their left. And it's surrounded by uh, Poland. I think it was Poland, Poland on their right, which means more broadly Russia. And so the Germans, for the longest time, have been trying to break out of that, trying to get you know to the sea, because they they feel very boxed in by all these powerful countries. And so that was what World War One was about. Actually, World War One was about them wanting to expand in order to counter the French. And that's also what the EU was. The EU was essentially the Americans looking at Europe and saying, we have this problem. Germany is always trying to break out because they always feel trapped. So what if we just made Europe this giant country, essentially? And so the the Americans thought, well, what if we turn Germany into part of this larger super, super, how do I say this? This this super political body, like the super government, right? Where it's a government that's above governments and Germany is going to be a state within that super government, right? And then Germany naturally took over. So that was the history of the EU. That's the history of Germany. And and we're what we're seeing is, is we're seeing with Brexit, we're seeing this kind of breaking away from this German empire that they've created. And we have to see. We're we're gonna see a lot of countries rebelling against the EU. I don't know if this France Franco Italian alliance is necessarily gonna be that, but I don't think Britain's gonna be the only country to leave the EU. Well, I don't I know this- how the EU chooses their policies. I just know that Germany, I guess, has the biggest part or has the you know is the biggest power within the EU in terms of choosing policy. And I think France and Italy are the second uh, after Germany is the second and third. And I guess they just wanted to balance out the power between Germany and the other, and, you know, France and Italy when it comes to bigger problems, um, you know, when it comes to geopolitical policies that the EU uh, is concerned with or, you know, what they do. But but then why do it outside of the auspices of the EU? The point of the EU is that you wouldn't need any further treaties between countries if they're if they're already in the EU. 
then they're already doing all these treaties, right? So the fact that they're doing this outside of the auspices of the EU, namely diplomats from France and diplomats from Italy are doing this thing called diplomacy, right? Which we haven't seen a lot of in, in Europe recently because everything is mediated rather through the EU. And they're doing this, right? So does this signal a collapse of the EU? Who knows? I, I kind of hope it is, but we I don't want to be too optimistic here. Um, it's definitely way too early to tell. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. It's It doesn't seem like it's that uh, effective, I guess. But I think they're just trying to balance out the power um, in the EU. Um, and so that's, that's how wars start, by the way. That's how wars start. Um, so, yeah, you're definitely right. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's similar to the U S and it's not similar to the U S where it's like, yes, the U S has all these different states and you have to look at each state like its own country yet, you know, all of our states kind of still look at ourselves as the United States while the EU is trying to simulate that, but they still look at themselves as different countries and they even have different languages. So even though they still have the same currency. Right, but I'm I'm kind of honing in on the idea that if France and Italy wanted this alliance and they had faith in the EU, they would have done all this within the EU. But they're doing it outside of the EU, parallel to the EU, as it were. So that to me signals that they're not that they don't have complete faith in the European Union. Uh huh. That's what it, that's what it says to me, anyways. And and now that they saw that Britain left the EU with Brexit. There, they might be, and this is all speculation because I had I was looking on the internet. I couldn't find anything because this is not the type of thing you'll find on the internet through recursory search. And I think a lot of these countries are looking at themselves and they're going, "Germany's benefiting a lot from the European Union, but we don't get much out of it." You're going to see this especially with countries like Greece. Uh, Greece essentially, they're 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 like their economy's shot. Because the euro is is good for Germany, it's not good for Greece, and I think you're going to see a lot more of this where the EU exists, but a lot of countries are going to start making alliances anyways outside of the EU, and then the EU won't be doing anything, and then they'll just leave the EU because they have alliances with everyone, which is probably for the best. Mm-hmm. And because I said my opinion is uh, is perfect and it's correct, you have to agree with me. That's how it works. All right. You are always right, Luke. Always, without a shadow of a doubt. Anyways, so because women hate me enough, I decided to get them to hate me more with the third topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, What do um, you do this time? What it, No, it's what I'm about to do. <laughs> it's what I'm about to do. It's it's what I'm about. It's the things I'm about to say. All right. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about this third topic today. I know this is an older piece. It's from 2012, which in the internet, you know, that may as well be from when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. But back in the real world, that's only nine years ago, and things have not changed on this front. So I want to talk about this. This is an article by Larissa Faw. She is a former contributor to Forbes. This is, that, this is how old the article is because it's a former contributor. Why are so many professional millennial women unable to find dateable men? Uh, honey, do you hear yourself? Anyways, um, 
This is the first paragraph. My millennial-aged girlfriends and I never doubted that we would accomplish all of our life goals. Everything thus far has pretty much gone according to plan to our plans. We were accepted into the right college, landed the dream job, and developed a network of amazing friends. Our apartments are beautifully decorated, and we have closets full of stylish clothing. Romance hasn't been entirely sidelined, but we don't waste our time trying to cultivate a relationship unless someone is really amazing. That's a lot of words for someone who's saying we didn't accomplish all of our life goals. Mm-hmm. She said, she said, we never doubted that we would accomplish all of our life goals, but you know, <laughs> she may as well have said that again, big cope. This is a big cope. And we're going to see it's going to, she's going to cope even harder. But now a growing number of millennial women are beginning to fret over the unanticipated consequences of prioritizing our careers before love. And I only need to look at my group of friends to see this reality. Again and again, year after year, my successful, gorgeous, and amazing friends remain kissless on New Year's Eve and on Valentine's Day Join and the on the 4th of July. What? As she said uh, her friends remain kissless on New Year's Eve. I said, join the club. Oh, wow. Self-own. You, you, know, you rarely see those in nature. Uh, <laughs> New Year's Eve and on Valentine's Day and on the 4th of July, the only dateable men we, we encounter are either attached, gay, or otherwise involved in its complicated, quote-unquote, situations. <laughs> we are coming to the realization that we were unwittingly playing a game of musical chairs while everyone was pairing up. Those focused on our careers are left standing alone. First of all, there are so many men out there who also don't have a date, but we'll see later that they price themselves out of the market. So we'll understand very quickly why they're single. I mean, when Um, it comes to this, I think we also need to talk about, you know, generality. Obviously, there are guys in the same situation, I'm sure. But actually, I think in this, I think when you look at dating, you have to understand, and, and this is. This is why people don't get dating because they think men and women are the same. The minute you recognize men and women are different and not just different as in peener vagina, I'm saying, you know, actually different, function differently in the dating market, then you begin to understand why these problems exist. But the problem is, is if you say this, you're a sexist or you're a bigot or you're outdated or whatever. So you you can't actually talk about it. But um, anyways, let me continue. And we can't figure out what is happening. Oh, can't you? Okay, let's continue. I don't think the issue is that men used to be great and now they're not, says Jezebel's Katie J.M. Baker. Women used to feel more pressure to get married and have kids earlier and prioritize those goals above the others. Add to that women's ability now to be self-sufficient financially and supported socially by so many friends in the same boat. It shouldn't be that surprising. So many millennial women are single. Except to us singletons, it isn't supposed to be this way. Well, yeah. I mean, how do I explain this? Women are on a clock. Ladies, to the one lady who clicked on this podcast by accident, you're on a clock. Okay? You're, you're on a clock. You can't just go around wasting your 20s partying and getting endless degrees. You have to be investing in your 20s so that by the time you're 25... You have a man. I mean, it's not even in the looks department. It's just the biological. There's only a certain amount of years you can have kids. If you I wasn't talking about looks. There are plenty of attractive, 40, attractive 40-year-old women, but I would never date a 40-year-old woman for very obvious reasons. But you see here, she, she kind of touches on why it's a problem. You see that women used to feel more pressure to get married and have kids earlier, right? So there was a, a societal pressure to get married, right? Women felt the pressure. 
and also women are now self-sufficient and they're not they don't feel as much of a need for a family earlier on because they have their girlfriends and they have their careers and they're doing so many things and then when they hit 35 they go oh well i want to be married all of a sudden well all of a sudden the men that you're interested in dating are not interested in dating you anymore yeah i mean (laughs) it used to be that you know women relied more on men because they were you know the ones working and women were the one at home but now that they're more sufficient they take care of themselves they don't feel the need at least in their 20s or, you know, to to have a man in their life. But at the same time, they feel that in order to be successful in their career, having a family or being married is going to hold them back from, you know, from pursuing their career. So that's... But that's, as we'll see... Right. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, that's fine. I was... You could continue. I was going to say that, you know, they feel that they don't you know, need a man at that, you know, a family at that time, because it's going to be a hindrance to their career and their success. And they want to wait until after they reach that success to, you know, settle down and have a family, which is the understandable, you know, notion where it's like, I mean, there's only so many things you can juggle. So at least me, I'm really bad at multitasking. So I need to concentrate on one thing at a time. And it's hard enough to, to try to, you know, balance a career and, you know, go on dates at the same time. Cause you know, there's only, there's only so much brain power you can put to one thing. So I understand it, but at the same time, you know, it's like you have to kind of deal. Right. With but it. I think, I think you don't go far enough. In my opinion, I think you're ignoring the very obvious statement, which is that it's not that having a kids and a family or family and kids is getting in the way of their career. It's that having a career is getting in the way of having a family and kids. Yes, that's what she's saying in this article. She's going to get there. She's going to get there. She's not going to say it quite like that, but she's going to explain it, and we're going to infer that based on what she wrote using our super sleuth skills because we're really, really smart guys, and we're excellent at reading cringe. Yes. Anyways, okay. When it comes to romance, millennial women are typically described using several broad strokes that don't reflect nuance or contradictions. We are the hookup generation. We are afraid of commitment. We are ball busters or fairy tale dreamers. Each cliche may have elements of truth, but the fuller story is a result of several influencing and interconnected factors. I mean, these are all true to describe certain women, but I find that a lot of these contradictory cliches, they describe different people. And that's how it always is when people talk about stereotypes, they're talking about different people. You're never going to find a ball buster who's also a hookup generation person, right? If she's a ball buster, she's gonna want a. Tra- she's gonna want like I guess somewhat of a traditional relationship where where her man is expected to be uh, faithful. But if she's a hookup generation, she probably doesn't care about a whole a whole lot in that regard. <sighs> but that's all I have to say about that. This is a very important paragraph, so I, I want you to pay attention. For one, it's not as if we are holding out for Jake Gyllenhaal. But we do have a certain non-negotiable expectations for potential mates that include college degrees and white-collar jobs. Life has always gone according to our plans, so why wouldn't we land a man with those reasonable requirements? Do you, do you, do you see the problem that I see, Rody? Uh, yes, their expectations are too high. Yes, their expectations are too high. She thinks her expectations aren't high at all, but these expectations are very high. Do you know what the percentage of colleges, how the percentage of college graduates are women? 
They're way more than men. That's what I know. Way more than men, right? So let's just look at this from a statistic perspective, right? If you are a woman who got accepted into college, that means there is likely a man who wasn't accepted into college because of you, right? That's not to say that women can't go to college. That's just reality, right? And so if in the olden days only men would go to college and and more men were expected to be degree holders, if now more women are going to college, then there are going to be more men who are not degree holders. Yes, but I also think it also comes down to that a lot of men are saying that college is not always is not like the end all be all like oh in order to be successful you need to go to college so i think a lot of people are starting to realize that and aren't necessarily going to college and they can make money you know without going to college but remember this is 2012 i don't think that i maybe i'm wrong but i don't think that realization really hit people yet i think this is still but a definitely time where now every- no Definitely now, but this is this is from 2012. So I want to talk about the things that were relevant in 2012. Obviously, things have changed. Think are still we, relevant today. Yes. So I think back then, I think back in 2012, a lot more people thought college was strictly necessary to do well. And I think that she thinks that college-educated men are going to date her. And what she doesn't realize is that those college-educated men who want to date someone, right? They're not interested in dating a quote-unquote successful woman. They're not interested. I think for a lot of men who have – okay, let me, let me present a scenario to you. I'm going to describe a scenario assuming it happened to me and feel free to agree if you think it would be the same for you. Suppose I was earning 250K a year, 250K a year after taxes, right? And I had two options for dating. Right, two options. Right, obviously, I'd have a lot more if, if I was earning two hundred fifty k a year. But if I was earning two hundred fifty k a year and I had two choices, and I had the choice between a twenty eight year old woman who has an MBA who's working at a very highfalutin job in New York City, or a twenty two year old, maybe with a degree, maybe without a degree, maybe she's a barista, but she's a lot younger. Uh, she has a lot less stress. She's a lot less student debt. I don't know, man. I'd go for the 22-year-old. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of factors to play, but I guess putting a, putting aside all those different factors and you're just speaking about, I guess, age and you know what they're doing in their life, then yeah, I guess the 22-year-old would make more sense. But I think – so here's the thing that I think you need to understand. The, the situation that I'm describing is both of those women are the product of their choices, Right. The 28-year-old with a really, really nice salary in New York, right? Yes, she has a nice salary in New York. But remember, it took her a while to get there. Because if she she got an MBA, that means assuming the minute she got out of high school, she went to college. It's four years of college plus how long for an MBA? Like one or two years? Um, Yeah, it could be two years. But some MBA programs want to have worked a few years before you go. To, right. like in order okay, to get but- into it, you have to have worked a few years already. So. Okay, but that's that. That's not that's not the that's that's a tangential thing. What I'm talking about is, let's assume she went straight from high school to college and from college to grad school, right? So she is 24 when she leaves school, right? That's already pretty old. Uh, the 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 average the the age that men want their women to be 
has been shown to be 22. Men consistently show that the, the, the age that is most attractive to men in women is 22 years old, right? So at the end of college, she's 22. Okay, okay, great. But she went to grad school. She busted her rear end, got an MBA. Now she's working for four years to get an excellent salary in some company, busting her ass to do spreadsheets or whatever it is that MBAs do, right? She probably comes home from work. She's very stressed out. She doesn't have patience to cook because she was busting her ass all day in, in a competitive office scene. And versus this 22-year-old who may have gone to college, may not have gone to college. But, you know, she's done. If she went to college, she's done. But she's not going to grad school. She's working a job, whatever. Maybe it's some stupid job somewhere. Or maybe it's a serious job. But she's 22, right? And she's willing to stay at home with the kids all day. She's looking for – or she wants to work from home. She wants a job where she's able to be at home with the kids, right? If I had to choose as a man who earns 250K a year, I would easily go for the 22-year-old because I'm working all day. Yes, Why would that's I a very personal opinion. And I know your opinions are facts, but <laughs> – but um, I think would you, you to... prefer would you prefer to date the twenty eight year old who's exhausted all the time and can't make you dinner and can't like take care of the kids and is always like is always at work? Because I don't think you would. I think it comes to a lot of things. So one is, you know, I didn't study to become like you know I didn't study finance or becoming a doctor, so I don't have a um, you know a high end job. So yeah, dating up would be nice i i wouldn't mind that um i think what it comes down to is two things i think it comes down to how women and men date in terms of as men get older their their pool gets gets bigger and as women get older their pool gets smaller so i think that's that's the case because men date younger women and you know every year you know that grows while women tend to date older men. Yes, can they date younger men? They could, but they tend to date older men. So, but that's not even it. When 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 people say that women date up, they're also referring to financially. That's why these stories of like this rich princess going out with this pauper, they're called fairy tales. Because typically women like to marry up socially, right? And nowadays, our level of income on some level dictates where we stand socially, right? If you earn $70,000 a year and you live in the middle of nowhere, you're a, a blue-collar blue worker and you live in the rural areas and your social circle is X. And if you're a, a highfalutin executive earning five hundred k a year living in New York City in a penthouse, then you are in a different social circle, a much higher so social circle. When women go and they earn these highfalutin degrees and they work in these highfalutin jobs, they're pricing themselves out of the market. You see how this woman said she only wants college degrees and white-collar jobs? Yes. But So she could solve her problem immediately by looking for a, a husband the way that men have traditionally looked for a wife over thousands of years. You're right, guys. But she's not going to do that. Guys could date down. I mean, look, I, I agree that, you know, some um, there are more women uh, less willing to date down than others. Obviously, there are women that are willing to date down. But 
if we're talking about a general sense, yes, I do believe it. And I have seen it in, in, you know, our friend circles, people, I see a lot of people tend, people like to, um, date and marry people of, uh, uh, familiar or similar, um, lifestyle. Okay. So they want to marry someone with the same, um, you know, lifestyle. So if they have a higher class lifestyle, let's say they grew up in a higher class, you know, environment, or let's say, you know, it's a standard of living. So let's say they have a higher standard of living or they want to have a higher standard of living. They want someone who also wants a higher standard of living. Right. But I think you're ignoring also, but I think you're also ignoring the very social aspect of women. Whereas men can, I don't think men compete as much on the personal end. I think they compete in the workplace with men they work with. But I think when men get home at the end of the day, I think it's much more likely for a man to just hang out at their buddy's house. It doesn't matter if their buddy's a little poor, a little richer. I don't think they care. Like, you know, I I have lots of friends who had bigger houses than I did growing up. And I also just – I wouldn't feel ashamed going to a buddy's house if he had a nicer apartment than me. You know, I, I wouldn't really care. That doesn't bother me. I think for women, a lot of them want to be able to say, oh, my husband does this. Oh, my husband does that. Now, imagine if this highfalutin executive lady, she goes and she marries this country bumpkin, right? Which is not to say I don't like country people, but she probably thinks of – she would think of a guy as a country bumpkin. And then her friend says, oh, I got this husband. He earns 500K a year working at uh, whatever stupid company. And then she says, yeah, well, my husband knows how to milk a cow and uh, (laughs) – you know, can you imagine how silly she'd look? in her social circles if she did that. And that's obviously not going to happen. But the problem is, is that she doesn't, either she doesn't know or she doesn't care that when women have all these credentials, they're pricing themselves out of the market, right? The best thing women can do for themselves when it comes to dating is to maybe get a bachelor's degree, if to get a degree at all, maybe get a bachelor's degree, work on work as a barista, and I don't know, get good at making pie. You know, because I think a lot more men will appreciate a woman who knows how to make pie than a woman who is busting her ass every day competing with men in the rat race. That's that's to me how it seems. Um, I don't know. I think it depends. Unless, I mean, you're you're saying that women should stay at home. No, I don't think that's what you're saying. No, I think that a lot of the work that women do. I think I think what when it comes to women, a lot of the jobs. I, Okay, let me let me take this back. Um, I'm not saying women should never get jobs. It would look very weird if you if I was dating a girl and she just never had anything to get in the way of me going on a date with her. But there is the opposite problem, right? Of a girl getting too involved in her work. For example, I think you were there for this um, when you were in Israel. I was I came to see you in the in the market and. I came prepared for a date that was going to happen later that day. This girl who I was going to see, let's call her Tiffany, right? She already agreed with me that we were going to push off a date to a different day. And that day was today, right? So I came to the date prepared already. I was I was already seeing you and I figured, oh, I'm going to go see Rhodey and then I'm going to go see this girl Tiffany later and you know, hang out at the coffee place. And she calls me and saying that her work demanded she stay late. And I go – well, you can't really do that. You stood me up. That's not fair, right? It's not It's not a nice thing. You can't stand me up like that the day of. You should tell your work that you had plans and they should, you know, screw right off. 
And she said, that doesn't, that's not how that works that way. It's a job, right? And I know how jobs work. I had jobs before and I have a job now. It's not, uh, that's, I, it's not that I didn't understand that. It's that at the end of the day, I'm going to see what's important to her based on what she says. It was a starter job. She, I, at least to my knowledge, it was a starter job. I don't know if she planned on having a career in that particular business. But to me, I don't think it's fair to anyone for the business to just say, hey, listen, you know, oh, you however many year old girl, stay after work. We don't care if you have a date, right? But that's what a job is. I mean, and they would do the both, same thing to a guy though. They would. But the thing is, is that that's why men typically work because they're expected to do that, right? Men are expected more to, you know, stay after, stay after hours, work extra long hours, and that's why they pay men a lot more than women partially because men are expected to work longer hours and they typically pull that type of stuff. Women, when they have kids, they say, I can't stay late because I have kids, right? They can't stay late because the kids come home at a certain time. That's when work stops and that's when home life begins, right? So a lot of men will get paid higher salaries because they can actually work the extra hours necessary to get the raises that are needed to get those extra salaries. I don't think it's a, I don't, we're not talking about able to, I mean, women are able to too. It's what you're saying. If it's social, if it should be socially acceptable for women to work extra hours. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when women get married, right, when they have a family, right, they typically do not stay late after work. Their jobs are to keep them busy while the kids are at school. But they're not – they typically hire men to do these more demanding jobs because men are socially expected to do these types of things. Men, when – if let's say the kids come home, right, it's expected that the women go and deal with the kids and for very obvious reasons, right? Because men can't have babies. Men men don't need maternity leave. We don't, we don't shoot babies out of our, you know – vaginas because we don't have vaginas we don't have wombs we don't have uteruses having a baby for us takes 15 minutes max and then we get back to our you lives know it's birthing person now i do know it's birthing person and i hate everything and i want everything to be burned in a giant fire <laughs> um it's terrible we live in the worst timeline and this is awful i hate it <laughs> anyways the worst timeline <laughs> i hate it oh anyways um no, but it's just the reality is is that biology dictates that women are should be at home more often, right? So I'm not saying women should sit on their asses and do nothing all day. I'm saying that at the end of the day, you focus more on your work as a woman. If you're a woman and you focus more on your job and you focus more on your career and you focus on getting all these highfalutin degrees and you get a really, really big paycheck, at the end of the day, you may, may end up single because a guy sees all that and goes, hmm, you know what? I'd rather have a girl who's going to be at home for the kids. I'd rather have a girl who's going to come home, who, who's never going to leave home and be and, and come home at the end of a long workday, like sigh, throw her jacket on the couch and be like, I'm so done today. You know, the, there's been so much crap at the office, right? Because if you're a guy and you were also doing that, you don't want to hear it from someone else. You want a cold beer and a sandwich at the end of a long day of work. You don't want someone who also wants a cold beer and a sandwich. You want someone who's going <laughs> I'm just imagining that you both get home and you're both like, you know, high executives and then you both demand each other a beer and sandwich. <laughs> right, but, th- but that's the problem, right? Because if you're a guy and you're earning a lot, listen, if you're a guy and you're earning $70,000 a year, right? 
and your wife is supporting with another 30,000. Most men will say like, listen, you know, I, I get it. You know, at the end of the day, we do need the extra money. But assuming you're in a position where you don't need your wife's help earning money, you'd rather her be at home taking care of the house, turning your house into a home, staying with your kids, making you food, and making sure that when you get home, it's nice and neat and orderly and you can come home from the office and be done, right? And you don't have to cook and clean and, you know, do nappies and this and that. It's like, okay, man, you know. And if you have the choice, when you're rich enough and you have that choice, you are going to pick the woman who's who doesn't deal with the stress. You, your wife may have like a job she does on the side, but she's not going to want – you're not going to want her to be the primary or even a partial breadwinner because you want her to be at home. That's her job, right? When you when, – when you are getting married, you don't need two breadwinners. You need one breadwinner and one stay-at-home parent. And most men are not interested in being the stay-at-home parent because they know they won't elicit respect from their wives if they are. So, I mean, I I mean I disagree that I think it should be their job to stay at home. I don't I mean I think they I think women No, sh- let me let me rephrase that so that no one thinks that I'm being some sort of misogynistic pig or whatever. I think that People are allowed to do whatever they want in this regard. I don't think that there should be laws mandating that women stay at home. I think that if a woman wants to go to work, the law should protect her and she should be allowed to go to work. I'm giving advice. I'm saying that if a woman wants the best prospects for dating, she needs to be available to a man who's going to be working, right? Or she needs to be willing to date a guy that functions a lot like a traditional woman does. There are a lot of men out there who don't have to, the job prospects in the market are not high for him. So he goes to work, works as a cashier, then goes goes home, plays video games until, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 and one in the morning, goes to bed, so you're wash, rinse, repeat. That they, sh- that they can't have both. They can have only one or the other. They can either have a high paying job and then have a guy who had who you know i guess their standard is lower and they have more time on their hand to to be at home or or the opposite either they themselves should work at a job that has a good work life balance that they could be at home and then marry a guy who who makes more money or even better yet invest in your early 20s find a guy who is getting there stick with him be there when he needs someone to be there and then, you know, actually invest in him and then eventually he'll settle down with you. And this is important because guys can be pigs. So it's very important to find a good guy who's not going to be a pig, right? But you find a good guy, you settle down and you kind of, you know, you invest in a guy. You don't, this is what I think a lot of people don't understand about dating. A lot of people who date nowadays, they're dating people who are already built up, right? They're dating completed people. But what a lot of people used to do, and you see this in the most successful marriages, the most successful marriages, the men and the women are not there yet. They're not fully there yet, right? Maybe the man is still, you know, low on the totem pole. Maybe the woman is is still in college, you know, whatever. Um, and this used to be in the olden days too. Like the man, like they would get arranged marriages. By the time you were 18, you were married, Right. There's no way at 18 a man was fully independent, right? He was working. He's probably living by his parents and he was shipped off and then he got some type of job. But the point is, is that marriages, they would invest in the marriage. So so eventually the guy would come into his own. 
right? Nowadays, people want to date someone who's already fully there, right? Especially when it comes to women wanting to date men. Women want to date men who are already done. You know, they've already got their 500K a year. They already got their, you know, dream apartment. They already got this. They already got that. But they don't realize that most men, they want the woman to grow into it, right? They don't want it. They're not, the men are not looking for the same things as women are, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that. Um, let's just finish the rest of the article. The unwillingness to settle for less than we think we deserve is joined by a lax attitude towards searching for potential mates. We're busy dominating the world. We don't have time to hang out at bars. While some of us explore online dating or take a more proactive approach, the majority of millennial women have long assumed we would meet Prince Charming via friends or through our own social circles. Why should we waste our precious time and energy unless we meet someone we really connect with and care about, asks Baker. I think it's great that millennial women are picky and don't feel as much pressure to be in monogamous relationships as did previous relation, uh, previous generations. I do think all millennials, not just women, are used to the idea of being able to curate experiences. That's why so many people are into online dating, because you can pick and choose character traits that makes people wary about settling down, especially when in a city like New York, there are so many options. <sighs> I think women need to recognize that they're on a clock, and so they can – listen, I – at the same – like I said before, men and women, they're they're all people and they have the right to choose who their mates are and they have the right to be as picky as they want. But when it comes to women, it's very important for them to recognize that they can be so picky that they eventually – they don't have choices anymore. Um, I think also it's not – I mean I think it's also a generational thing that – society nowadays pushes um for matrimony a lot less nowadays um than it used to so a lot of times these guys aren't let's let's say they do find a good guy he might say it's complicated because he's not interested you know in a relationship that's also a thing because society has pushed for there not to be you know uh marriages and you know to be single for a lot longer and that you don't necessarily need to be, you know, married. I mean, that's why the the population rate is, has gone down and people are having less kids for that exact reason. I mean, not exact more reasons, but I mean, also that reason. I mean, people aren't getting married. That's true. But I have a feeling that if she – she says here that she doesn't have time to hang out at bars. And I totally agree. I've done my fair share of bar hopping and I think it's fun, but it is not – good for finding long-term mates. I don't think I would ever want to date a woman who I found puking on the floor of a bar. Um, but I mean, it That's will an extreme. Say is, I think women can – everyone could go to a bar and not get drunk. I mean there are very – there are a lot more classy bars. So Right. But I think I think the issue is, is that when you go to a bar, you're not necessarily finding people who have the same values as you. Anyone can walk into a bar, right? Bars are non-denominational. I'm wondering – why doesn't she go to a church or a synagogue? Something tells me she doesn't believe in God. Um, but if she was smart, she'd walk into a church and try to find a man there or a synagogue, try to find a man there, try to find, try to go to a place where she has a genuine hobby interest, like rock climbing or community hiking. Also, or conservatives I- tend to get married more often than, you know, people on the left. Because I think – well, number one, because the left, they don't even know what a man or a woman is. So when you're dealing with that, that's 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 a big problem. But uh, 
More importantly, it's because they have no natural community. What binds conservative people together typically is shared religion, right? People think, oh, politics binds people together. No, religion does because it's values. It's a community, right? So you go to synagogue, you meet a, a dashing young dashing young man or a, a pretty young lady, you know, you, you chat her up, maybe invite her over to uh, Kiddish or something, you know, and then, uh, you know, you maybe hold her hand if you're feeling a little frisky. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a this is a show for all ages. So we are not advocating for some of the degenerate things that I have seen on the internet. Okay, what hugging? Ugh. You would hug a woman, Rody? I thought you were a man of God. <laughs> Get out of here! All right, the anyway, door's right doors right here. I'll the door's out. right over there. I see it this time. So you just walk right out, you degenerate scumbag. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, he would hug a woman. I wouldn't hold her hand until I walked down the aisle because I'm a man of God. S- silly person. Anyways, unfortunately, these assumptions bump up against the growing inequality between the two genders. There was always inequality between the two genders, you dumb person. <sighs> Millennial women have taken it for granted that they will pair up with equal partners, but increasingly there aren't enough of these men to go around. Women now outnumber men on college campuses. We spoke about that. And single childless women out-earn their male counterparts. In fact, as author Lisa Mundy writes in her book, The Richer Sex, millennial women are increasingly finding two options when it comes to romance, marry down or don't marry. There needs to be a cognitive behavior change in what are considered important traits, says Mundy. I talk to so many women who are obsessed with finding men on their level. They want someone as ambitious, engaged, and high-achieving as they are. They maybe need to rethink that to seek a partner who is supportive rather than competitive. That's what I said. But you want to know why women are never going to take that advice? Because that's not what women want. Women don't want a man who's supportive and is is like, you know, always there for them and, you know, kind of always, you know, crying to the same scenes of sex in the city as they are. That's not what women want. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, they, they do want that. I just don't think they're going to get it. No, they say they want it. But imagine if they got their dream. Imagine if Mr... Uh, caring and supportive, who was less of a, you know, less of a high earner than them. They weren't nearly as uh, career ambitious as they were, but they were more ambitious when it came. Like, imagine if they found a man who wanted to do what women traditionally did, right? Which is to say, stay at home with the kids, raise the kids, you know, all that, right? Imagine if they found that, right? I don't think they would be into that. I genuinely believe that if women, that if these women found that, they would tell these men, hey, listen, you're you're great and all, but you're not for me. I want a high-achieving man. The high-achieving man wants a trophy wife. That's just the reality. Like I explained before, you know, I think a man who is earning $500,000 a year, he wants a woman that costs him $500,000 a year, you know? And you're saying high-achieving women want a trophy husband? No, they don't. That's what I'm saying. They don't want that. Because I have if a they wanted who, that, he's a trophy husband and, you know, they're both great together. You know what the term is though? The technical term is trophy bro. Trophy bro. <laughs> trophy bro. Yes. <laughs> the technical term is trophy bro. Um, but I feel that most women, now listen, there are always women who are going to want things that that like they buck the trends. Those are called outliers. Those exist in statistics. 
But for most women, most women don't want that. And if they did want that, you'd see a lot of that. You'd see a lot of women inviting these kind of low achieving men out to the city to spend the night with them in their, you know, in their high rise apartments. And they'd talk about how much they earn. But men and women don't want that. And I think it shows because if they did want it, they'd have it. But people, the heart wants what the heart wants. You can't fool the heart by explaining it to them rationally. That's not what the heart is there for. Or accomplished women hold firm in searching for impressive men to help them feel they're getting anything out of the partnership. They have this list of qualities, smart, has a job, knows something about the culture of the world, etc. that seem pretty reasonable, but so few men meet the requirements, says Melanie Schreffler, a marketing consultant on millennial culture. Going back centuries, it was just a contract between two parties. Love and even friendship or liking each other weren't important. If you were lucky, they developed over time. But now we think we can find a guy who will be our best friend, our other half, who we will love before we marry. Finding them a guy that we also find attractive makes the probability of finding a good match even less. See there, she's like, smart, has a job, knows something about the culture of the world, blah, blah, blah. Some men don't ever travel because they're busy and they don't want to spend their money on traveling. Believe it or not, not everyone's interested in traveling. Have you ever asked about his globe collection, uh, his uh, snow globe collection, or maybe he's into, I don't know, his job or whatever it is? She wants so many things, but she can't have it all. You know, there was a inspirational speaker I was once uh, listening to, and he was saying he was listing off like girls want uh, this and that. And they want a man who cooks, a man that cleans, a man that loves, a man that uh, is successful, and makes money, take care of the kids and a man that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's a, there's an old joke about a Jewish mom who um, she has a, a son and a daughter. They're both married. And when asked about her daughter-in-law, she says, oh, I hate my daughter-in-law. My, my, my son is always uh, cooking and cleaning. She stays in bed all day. He cooks for her, cleans for her, takes care of the kids, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't do anything, right? And then when asked about her son-in-law, she says, oh, I love my son-in-law. My daughter stays in bed all day. He cooks and cleans and he does the laundry and takes care of the kids. So that's, you know, that's a thing. People don't realize that, but uh, that is a thing. Plus, many millennial women are in the uncertain gray age range where we aren't sure if we need to start stressing out over our single status and lower our standards, or whether we simply need to remain patient that the right man will come along. When it comes to women, if you are, if you are unsure whether you should start freaking out about your age and about dating, the answer is yes. There is also an odd paradox in that millennial women can be outright ambitious in their professional lives, but the same approach towards dating conveys desperation. Marriage is a worthy goal, same same Monday. I think it says Monday. It's strange that it's stigmatized. When women work as explicitly hard to find romance and they do for their careers, they are seen as man-hungry. It's a shame since studies show that marriage makes one healthier and happier. There's no shame in wanting a great life. Yes. But that demonstrates that these people don't know how dating works, right? Typically, it is the man that is ambitious in dating. Typically, it is the man that goes and asks out the woman, and he goes and he courts her, buys flowers, blah, blah, blah. When the woman does that, the man goes, why is that woman doing that? She's taking my job. Why? I would love it. I wish women would ask. So as someone who has been asked out by women, I could tell you that it gets old very quickly, very quickly. Once it listen, <laughs> when, when it happens once, you get flattered. When it happens twice, you're like, okay, whatever. When it happens three times, you're already ro- rolling your eyes. Me, I don't want to be asked out by women at all. Like, giant turn off for me. Anyways, 
At the very least, millennial women can always turn to those in relationships for helpful dating solutions. If your utmost priority is to find a mate, maybe you should think about the qualities that are most important to you and keep that in mind when writing people off, says Baker. But I don't want that to come off as me encouraging women to settle because I'd personally rather be single than in a relationship with someone who isn't worth it. That's such an annoying talking point. At some point, you need to yeah. settle. At some, for men, the age is much, much older. You always have to settle. You're never going to get exactly what you want. And these women, they're told from when they're kids, you can have it all. Men are never told that. And that's why men don't write articles like this. That's why men never write articles about how they're so successful and yet they can't get all the women they want. Because no one is telling men that just because you're successful, you're going to get women. No one is saying that. Women are told this nonsense. And it's time we tell women, hey, you can't have it all. And that's okay. That's that's double, triple okay. You're going to have to pick and choose. And that's okay. We all have to pick and choose. And there's always the popular suggestion to move to another state with a more favorable male-to-female ratio. It worked for my sister who found her boyfriend in Alaska. Notice this full-time journalist with a business background. She's not going to function in Alaska. She's not going to function in Alaska. There's nothing for her to do in Alaska. She's going to take her giant, all her credentials, and she may as well light it on fire, right? I guess, but if she's in New York, she could move to L.A. But L.A., it's the same deal. She's still competing with the same women. She's still competing with the same man. What her sister did was she moved to a place where the men are not as credentialed, and she gave up her own credentials, and she said, hey, I want a man more than I want these credentials. I'm going to go get a man, right? This lady over here, she didn't do that because she's happier doing whatever it is let me just look up who larissa faw is maybe maybe there's a happy ending after all this maybe there's a happy ending i mean love requires sacrifice but you know it's worth it in the end love does require sacrifice and that is the point she is okay no she is as far as as based on her haircut i can see that she is still single she's <laughs> okay she is still How, well What's the connection there? No, she is st- definitely still single. She had longer hair in the picture over here, but in the in the LinkedIn, she had short hair, which means that she probably adopted feminism, which means that it's not a happy ending, but, you know. The point is, ladies, learn from this woman's mistake, especially the Gen Z ladies who are just getting out there, just, you know, turning 22 or whatever. You're finally getting out there in the world, 23, 24 max, right? You see that... Women of my generation, they spent so much time chasing after all these credentials that they completely forgot that, you know, these credentials are meaningless in the long run and that they want a family at some point. Don't make the same mistakes the millennials did. Find a man, settle down, and then later, if you want some job, get some type of job to, you know, kind of keep yourself busy. But your real work should be raising your kids. And that's what, and the best men are going to really like that. So if you're looking for a really, really good man, do that. Get better at making apple pie. Don't worry about like the the the, the professional careers or whatever. That, that's just no men don't care if you are doing spreadsheets for some other man. There's nothing there's nothing undignified. I think I think there's more dignity in serving a man in a marriage versus serving a different man for a paycheck. I think there's a little bit more dignity in that. But that's just me. You're free to take my advice, you're free not to take my advice. You could call me whatever names you like. Um, But at the end of the day, 
it's up to you. You can do whatever you want, and I'm not going to stop you. But just uh, if you ever find out that you're 30 and single and you're wondering what happened to all the good men out there, well, don't say I didn't warn you. Anyways, thank you all for joining us this week. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Audible, and Google Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>